Just after midnight on May 14, 2008, a car skidded off a desolate stretch of road in rural Minnesota. The vehicle slid to a stop in a gravel ditch on the shoulder. The driver, 19-year-old Brandon Swanson, wasn't hurt in the accident, but he did have a problem. The car was now on such a steep incline that the front tires could no longer get any traction. Every time he pressed the gas pedal, the wheels spun out of control. Brandon gazed out at the dark farmland around him. He couldn't see any other vehicles or buildings. Frustrated and impatient, he stepped out of the car to call his parents for help. Brandon's parents told him they were coming to pick him up. He didn't think he was far away from home, but he knew that the back roads could be confusing. If they got lost, it might be hours before they arrived. So he looked for a nearby landmark. Brandon saw a light in the distance that seemed to be within walking distance. The night was near freezing, and Brandon wasn't dressed for the weather. But he spent his whole life in Minnesota, so he believed he could handle the temperature in just a T-shirt and jeans. Besides, he cut through the farmland as a shortcut. It shouldn't take him too long. So he left his car, walked off the road, and into the fields beyond. Having no idea, he was walking into oblivion. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we examine history's most compelling mysteries. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we're covering the disappearance of Brandon Swanson, a Minnesota teenager who vanished along a desolate swath of rural farmland in 2008. After more than a decade of searching, investigators have found virtually no evidence to help make sense of what happened to Brandon. No personal items, no footprints, no body. Nothing. Coming up, we'll get more into Brandon's story. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Nineteen year old Brandon Swanson loved the landscape of Minnesota, his home state. 
As a teenager growing up in the small town of Marshall, one of his favorite activities was speeding down the countryside in his green Chevrolet Lumina. He also loved seeing the wind turbines that dotted the landscape. Brandon was passionate about the environment and believed in the importance of renewable resources. In 2007, after graduating from Marshall High School, he enrolled at the local technical college to study wind turbines. Located in the town of Canby, his college was only a 30-mile drive from home. The proximity allowed him to commute to classes without having to stay on campus. Five days a week, Brandon made the 40-minute drive, a straight shot down State Highway 68. May 13, 2008 was the last day of the academic year. Rather than go home after his final classes, Brandon stayed out and celebrated with his friends. He started the night at a house party in Lind, Minnesota, a town about seven miles south of his home in Marshall. He had a few drinks over the course of several hours and then said he was heading to another party in Canby. Friends at the party didn't believe Brandon was drunk. At the very least, he wasn't acting like it, so they didn't worry about him driving. Brandon made the 40-mile journey back to Canby without incident and joined a second set of friends. He had another shot of whiskey, but still, he seemed sober enough to drive. Around 1 a.m., Brandon finally headed back home. He said goodbye, climbed back into his Chevy Lumina, and drove off into the Minnesota night. It was the same drive he'd made so many times before, right down Highway 68. But this time, he was driving toward disaster. At 1.54 a.m., Annette and Brian Swanson woke up to the sound of a ringing cell phone. When they answered the call, Brandon told them he needed their help. He recounted the accident, describing how the car slipped off the gravel road and into a small ditch. While he wasn't injured and the car wasn't damaged, Brandon said he needed to be picked up. The Swansons asked for their son's location. He said he was on State Highway 68, somewhere between the towns of Marshall and Lind. His parents hopped in their car and drove. It wasn't far. Brandon and his parents believed they were within a 10-minute drive of each other. But when Annette and Brian Swanson arrived at the midpoint of the desolate highway between Lind and Marshall, they didn't see their son anywhere. They called Brandon back and told him they couldn't find him. Brandon couldn't see them either. His father flashed his headlights and honked the horn, asking if his son could see or hear them. But no, Brandon didn't see any sign of his parents. In the open fields of Minnesota, he should have been able to see their lights for miles, which meant Brandon couldn't be close. Either Brandon lied about his location, or he was completely disoriented. Annette and Brian Swanson got back in their car and continued driving toward Lind. They assumed they'd come across Brandon eventually, and in case he came across a landmark or sign that would orient him, they continued talking to him on the phone. This continued for more than 30 minutes. Tensions grew between Brandon and his parents. Brandon insisted the directions he gave them were correct and they must have gotten lost. Brandon mentioned abandoning his car and walking to Lind, but his parents begged him to stay put. They were worried. And they had reasons to be concerned. 
Brandon was blind in one of his eyes, which made walking at night dangerous. But Brandon didn't see it that way. After bickering for a bit, Brandon hung up. Annette called back and apologized. Brandon told them he was going to leave his car and walk to Lind. He said he'd meet them in the parking lot of a nearby bar. His parents agreed. Before heading to the bar, Brandon's father dropped Annette back off at home. He remained on the phone with Brandon, who kept his father updated on his whereabouts. Brandon described the gravel road underneath his feet and mentioned he could hear water running nearby. Then, just before 2.30 a.m., Brian Swanson shouted an expletive. And the call disconnected. Brian tried calling back, but the calls all went straight to voicemail. Back at home, Annette Swanson was getting scared. She called Brandon's friends to find out if anyone knew where he was, but none did. Before long, Brian Swanson reached the meeting point his son told him to meet at, the bar in Lind. But Brandon wasn't there, so he kept driving down the highway looking for Brandon's car, a gravel road, and the sound of running water. At 6.30 a.m., nearly five hours after they received the first call from Brandon, Annette and Brian Swanson called the police. They wanted to officially declare their son missing and call in a search team. Coming up, the hunt for Brandon Swanson begins. The CIA. They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Now, back to the story. At 6.30 a.m. on May 14, 2008, the police station in Lind, Minnesota, received a panicked phone call from Annette and Brian Swanson. Their son, 19-year-old Brandon Swanson, disappeared somewhere in the vast farmland outside of town. The Swansons wanted to file a missing persons report and get help looking for him immediately. Unfortunately, the police had different ideas. 
Lind Police Department officers reportedly reacted to the Swanson story with indifference. According to the cops, Brandon was a 19-year-old adult and could go anywhere he pleased. The cops even said that their son, quote, had a right to be missing. They believed Annette and Brian were being overprotective. This infuriated the Swansons. They refused to leave the police station until the cops took Brandon's disappearance seriously. It took hours, but eventually the police finally agreed to perform a limited search. They began by sweeping the streets of Lind, an easy task in a town of 400 people. Within a few hours, they confirmed that Brandon wasn't in Lind or the surrounding area. When they looked through Brandon's cell phone records, they realized that Brandon wasn't near Lind. His final call pinged off a cell tower near Taunton, over 20 miles away. Brandon had accidentally sent his parents in the opposite direction. After this revelation, the Lyon County Sheriff's Department got involved. They searched near the cell tower and found Brandon's car. While he might have been wrong about his location, everything he described about the accident seemed accurate. His car was abandoned in a ditch a mile north of State Highway 68. Its doors were unlocked and the keys were missing. Two of the car's wheels were propped up in the air, making it impossible to move. But the car's location brought far more questions than answers. The closest town wasn't Lind or Marshall, but one named Porter. And Porter was closer to Brandon's college in Canby than it was to his home. Not only was the drive from Canby and Marshall a straight line on a single highway, but it didn't pass through Lind at all. He had no reason to leave the highway and drive along gravel side roads. And Brandon was still nowhere to be found. There were no obvious clues found near his car and no sign of foul play. Nobody could tell which direction he went. The car was surrounded by vast fields and patches of woodland. In the light of day, the police could see for miles around and saw no sign of Brandon's tracks. So they brought in search dogs. The dogs picked up Brandon's scent near his car and followed it through a nearby wooded area and into the farmland beyond. The trail continued for several miles, but the dogs stopped once they hit the Yellow Medicine River. This path made sense. At night, Brandon would have seen the red light of a grain elevator in Taunton, which he likely misidentified as a building in Lind. The most direct path from Brandon's car to the light was through the woods and fields and over the river. The river must have been the running water that Brandon heard when he was on the phone with his father. But it wasn't just a gentle stream. At that time of year, the Yellow Medicine River's current was strong from all the snowmelt in the region. With a depth of 15 feet, the river posed an obvious hazard to someone walking in the dark. Taking those clues into account, the police came to a simple conclusion. They believed Brandon must have fallen into the river while speaking to his father on the phone. It explained why he suddenly shouted and why the call cut out when the phone hit the water and died. By midday, the search for Brandon Swanson expanded into a large-scale manhunt. Officials waded into the river, working their way downstream. 
They expected to find some evidence of Brandon's presence, a shoe, a cell phone, or possibly his body. Helicopters flew over the area looking for the missing teen. Meanwhile, the police, tracking dogs, and volunteers combed the nearby woods and fields. As the day wore on, investigators doubted their conclusion that Brandon fell into the river. The sheriff's department didn't find any sign of Brandon downstream of where his scent had stopped. If he'd fallen in and injured himself or drowned, then he should have been easy to find. His body, or at the very least, a piece of clothing, should have washed up downstream almost immediately. But nothing did. Brandon must have made it out of the river and continued wandering through the fields. One of the search dogs had jumped into the river to track Brandon's scent and emerged from the water to follow a new trail. This one led away from the water and down another gravel road that stretched toward an abandoned farm in the distance. But it abruptly ended in a nearby field. When the dogs abandoned the trail, the police did too. They remained focused in and around the Yellow Medicine River. At this point, Brandon had been missing for nearly 18 hours. The first day of searching ended without any further discoveries. On the second day, the search expanded, now aided by a growing army of over 500 volunteers. To cover more ground faster, some rode all-terrain vehicles and horses. They rolled through the fields and farms surrounding the abandoned car and the town of Porter. More search and rescue dogs arrived from cities like Minneapolis and St. Paul. Additional dog handlers flew in from eight neighboring states. A team from Texas brought a remote-controlled plane and underwater sonar equipment to Porter. In addition to providing an aerial view of the area, it could scan the riverbed. On the third day of the search, the police determined that Brandon's final call was made within a five-mile radius of a specific cell phone tower near Porter. This new information narrowed the search area significantly. But even with more focus and additional manpower, nobody found any trace of Brandon Swanson. The days and weeks stretched on without any new evidence. Finally, the local police brought in cadaver dogs, specially trained to locate dead bodies. At first, the dogs followed a trail in the opposite direction of the Yellow Medicine River, but the cadaver dogs lost this trail shortly after. Sheriff Jack Vizecki still believed accidental drowning was the most logical explanation for Brandon's disappearance. Every day, he personally walked two miles of the river. Each time, he expected to find a clue, or even Brandon himself. But each time, he came up empty-handed. The involvement of cadaver dogs and the prevailing belief that Brandon fell into the river both cast a dark shadow over the investigation. But officials were careful not to call the search a recovery effort or say they believed Brandon to be dead. Everyone tried to remain optimistic. At some point, the police set up an anonymous tip line in case anyone saw Brandon the night he went missing or in the aftermath. They reportedly received nearly 100 calls offering information on the missing teenager, but none led to any progress. Eventually, Sheriff Vizecki stopped believing Brandon fell into the river and drowned. The river was too small and shallow. 
his body would have been found. By the end of the summer, every lead had gone cold, and authorities suspended the search for Brandon Swanson for the time being. But Brandon's parents didn't give up, even as days turned into months. They were determined to find their son. Although they didn't know it then, Brandon's disappearance was about to change police procedure forever. Coming up, the search for Brandon takes an unexpected turn. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Now back to the story. On May 14, 2008, 19-year-old Brandon Swanson disappeared after a car accident near Porter, Minnesota. A large-scale search ensued, involving planes, horses, and hundreds of police officers and volunteers. In the weeks following the disappearance, authorities searched 122 square miles around Brandon's abandoned car. But after a summer of hunting, investigators still hadn't found Brandon. Moreover, they didn't uncover a single piece of evidence that indicated what might have happened to him. Other than his call with his father and the sense picked up by the dogs, there was no evidence that Brandon ever left the area. The explanation put forth by most investigators was that Brandon attempted to walk to a nearby town by crossing a stretch of dark farmland. Along the way, he fell into the rushing waters of the Yellow Medicine River and drowned. Though this made logical sense, there was little hard evidence to support the theory. Search dogs led investigators from Brandon's abandoned car to the banks of the river, but nothing was ever found in the water. But the scent may not have ended at the river. As we mentioned, a few search dogs continued tracking Brandon's scent to a nearby field. Cadaver dogs also discovered faint scents in a completely different area north of the highway. As the fall of 2008 turned into winter, authorities halted the search due to the cold. Even after months of looking and scanning the area with high-tech sonar, investigators couldn't prove he was ever in or near the river. This left Brandon's parents, Annette and Brian, without closure. The Swansons were convinced that the search for Brandon was hindered at the very beginning by the lethargic response of the police. They never forgot the cop who told them Brandon had a right to go missing, and they became determined to prevent something similar happening to another family. In the spring of 2009, almost a year after Brandon's disappearance, 
the Swansons traveled to the state capital in St. Paul. They lobbied for new legislation that would expand missing children laws to include adults who disappear under dangerous circumstances. The Swansons hoped the new measure, known as Brandon's Law, would accelerate police response in the future. It required law enforcement agencies to accept any report of a missing person without delay. A few months later, the measure passed the Minnesota legislature and went into effect on July 1st, 2009, 14 months after Brandon vanished. Meanwhile, winter had ended and the search for Brandon continued amid the rural Minnesota landscape off State Highway 68. To no avail. By 2010, two years after his disappearance, the local county sheriffs and police departments determined Brandon's case had become too cumbersome to manage. They handed it off to the statewide Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, which had additional resources and personnel. Since then, the Yellow Medicine River has been carefully combed over more than a dozen times by different search parties, each one hoping to uncover something previously missed. But no evidence has been found. Local landowners have become less willing to cooperate with each passing year. They've grown frustrated as each new search damages their crops and still comes up empty-handed. As of this recording, the Bureau still receives tips from the public. There have been over 75 new leads since 2010, but none of them have proved fruitful. The simplest explanation remains that Brandon fell into the river and either drowned or died of hypothermia. However, in the absence of any evidence, other theories have emerged. One returned to the police's initial instinct, that Brandon had a right to go missing. Some people believe he ran away from home and never wanted to be found, but the police and his family are unconvinced. According to them, there was nothing in Brandon's background or personality that suggested that he would have wanted to start over. Other observers have offered more outlandish possibilities. One explanation proposed by amateur internet sleuths suggests that Brandon might have fallen into a sinkhole that opened up just beneath his feet. Sinkholes aren't unusual in Minnesota. The town of Fountain, Minnesota, calls itself the sinkhole capital of the United States. Thanks to water eroding the bedrock underneath, there are more than 10,000 sinkholes in and around the town, and they can measure up to 60 feet deep. If Brandon had fallen into a sinkhole that suddenly appeared beneath his feet, it would explain his cell phone's sudden disconnection. If the sinkhole then collapsed, it would leave him buried and hidden from the surface. This would explain the lack of tracks left behind. However, there would have been visible evidence of a sinkhole collapse. An investigator surely would have seen a large, low patch of earth that looked distinctly different than the ground around it. But they found nothing of the sort. And while sinkholes are common in the southeastern region of the state, they're far more rare in the southwestern region where Brandon went missing. Others have suggested that Brandon was attacked by a wild animal. Black bears are known to frequent the Yellow Medicine River. Wolves and wildcats are also common in the area. 
But wild animal attacks are extremely rare. And any violence would have left behind obvious clues like ripped clothing, mutilated flesh, or bloody tracks. Another common belief is that Brandon was the victim of foul play. Investigators never ruled out the possibility of a second person in the area. Many have speculated that Brandon never walked toward the river or even into the farmland at all. He stayed along the road, and while walking alone in the dark, he was hit by a car and killed. If the guilty driver panicked, they might have hid Brandon's body far from the site of the collision. This would explain why Brandon's body remains undiscovered and why the search dogs picked up seemingly contradictory scents. The driver could have wandered through the woods in multiple directions, looking for a place to hide the body. There are other versions of this theory as well, also built on speculation. Some believe that Brandon was actually abducted while trying to cross the farmland. While these foul play explanations are compelling, there's no evidence for any of them. Most investigators believe what happened was far less sinister, but arguably even more tragic. After a long day of classes and a long night of partying, Brandon was exhausted and probably not sober. As he walked through the fields, disoriented in the pitch black night, he likely made a wrong step and fell into the Yellow Medicine River. The water wasn't deep, but the current was strong. If he didn't drown, he would have been soaking wet. In mid-May, Minnesota nights can drop to around 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Hypothermia would have set in quickly. Panicking, shivering, and without a phone, Brandon would have struggled to get back to safety. He might have tried to return to his car or keep walking through the field toward a distant light. It's also possible that he tried to find shelter in one of the nearby farm buildings. But wherever Brandon tried to go, he didn't make it. Instead, he probably got even more lost in the vast expanse of rural Minnesota farmland. Somewhere out there, in a spot nobody thought to search, Brandon Swanson likely succumbed to exposure and hypothermia. It has been 13 years since Brandon Swanson disappeared. Occasional search parties continue to comb the area around Porter. They have been more focused, with only a handful of specialists and cadaver dogs. The search zone has centered on a spot where dogs first recognized a scent in 2008. But the area is huge, and harsh Minnesota weather has transformed the landscape. It's like searching for a needle in a haystack. Still, Brian and Annette Swanson have never lost hope that Brandon will come home. Every night since their son went missing, the Swansons have left their porch light on, a signal in the dark to Brandon, welcoming him home. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlane and research by Brian Petrus. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.